Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Deep breath in, exhale. Wow. Yep, she did it again. <laughs> had another amazing conversation with uh, our dear friend Simran, mm-hmm. who we've all, I've only met over well, online, I guess both of us have, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. and the power of her words and presence, presence and and her tone and how she speaks is just it just speaks to your soul, and it's it's one of those conversations that you just have to experience. Mm-hmm. It's like you know when you're listening to a song, and it just gets you into this state different emotions and different curiosities and all of that it's like the whole interview is um is that yeah exactly it's like you get put into this trance and this all these things start to bubble up inside of you um not in an anxiety kind of way but more of like this i have heard this i know this my deepest part of me knows this to be true. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it was so good. Yeah, so good. And, and that's all we're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a celebration. Yeah. So uh, just, you just have to show up and listen. This week, we are going into part two of a conversation that I had with doctors Nick and Sonia Jensen. They are the hosts of a podcast called Health Ignited. And I think that you will find this week's conversation as rich, beautiful, and compelling as you did the last one. And Dr. Jensen, Sonia Jensen, was a guest on a prior show of 1111 Talk Radio where we talked about her book, Woman Unleashed. She has recently gotten into another venture with her sister, creating tea blends that align with women's unique hormonal needs, but also create a movement in which those needs are hailed as essential to meet. Tula teas are blended for balance and curated for comfort. Find out more about Drs. Nick and Sonia Jensen by going to drsoniajensen.com. That's drsoniajensen.com. Now, enjoy the show. Well, we feel blessed. We get a chance to connect with our dear friend Simran again on this podcast because she's just recently released uh, another one of her gems into the world. Mm-hmm. Right? So her second book in her trilogy. And we interviewed her just a little while ago about the first one called Living. So if you haven't listened to it yet, please go back and listen to that episode. I sent that episode to many friends and the response that I always had after was, wow. So it's a must listen. So I'm really excited about our conversation today around being which is the second book that she's just released yeah so thank you so much for being here Simran I've been looking forward to being back with you both I just I love the collaboration between the two of you and your energy and richness and most most importantly your authenticity I think what you're bringing to the world with your true heart and voice is very powerful and a needed example Mm. Well, it means a lot coming from you, Simran. Uh, it's funny because like the, the feedback that we got on the first episode, people are like, who is this woman? How She's speaking so like so deeply into my soul when she's speaking. And you, know, you have a gift. And, and we said this on the first podcast, reading through the words in your book, it was like reading poetry for the soul. It was, it was so profound. And, and it's so clear. I mean, you mentioned authenticity. I mean, it's, it's, there's so much congruence in your words and how you show up and how you speak. And so I, I really saw, and this is my own interpretation. So please, I'd love for you to sort of correct me and, and steer uh, this, but I really saw that first book as like a cultivation within like that internal uh, relationship and the conflict and the challenge uh, more of a, like, what, what is, what does it mean to be here in, in this body, having this experience a very, more internal central or eye centric sort of experience where this one sort of feels like to me, um, uh, how do I relate to my environment? Like the, the, you mentioned like the duality and some of these other things, how would you sort of, is that a correct or somewhat correct interpretation or how would you see like this sort of graduation of understanding from the first, to the second book? I think you did a beautiful job uh, expressing Uh, what both books are. I think that this is a layering 
of the individual self. And so as we involute and go deeper inside, what we discover is how that impacts the outside. And so living the seven blessings of human experience really does look at who we're being on the basis of our identity and our persona and how we act and react in the world and why things are happening to us and how we navigate this experience that we call life. And being goes a bit deeper. It's uh, very much pointing us towards a lot of the ills of the world and how those very ills of the world exist within us to start with. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are living in a virtual reality as real as it feels. But when we really get that the change is not in the reflection of the world, the change is here. It's kind of like if you stood in a mirror and you saw something on your face, you wouldn't wipe the mirror, you would wipe your face. And so that's where we need to go. We need to go to the person within. My work has always been devoted to the journey of the soul. And these books are the soul devoted back to you. And so that's what they're intended to do is help you touch your soul and help your soul touch you. So tell us about being and the essence of this book and what you're really hoping all the readers understand from that soul perspective and that bigger perspective um, of what this book can bring to them. I think it's probably safe to say that most people feel a little bit saddened by the world, perhaps disgusted, um, oftentimes find themselves in places of fear or anger about the things that they're seeing perhaps even feel a bit helpless and hopeless uh, regarding many of the experiences that they witness or things they hear about or the possibilities for our future. And what we have to understand is that the world is this reflection of all the aspects of being that exist within us. What we have not known is that there are many levels of being, but they are existing simultaneously. They're expressing simultaneously. They're vibrating all at the same time. So whether we are trying to be positive and say all the right words and the affirmations and all those things that need to be done, there are other levels within us that we are suppressing, ignoring, hiding, running away from, pushing down that are equally active and present at the same time. And so it's more about bringing present time awareness to all that is presently being. And just as in the last book, I illustrated uh, much of the text as capital self, capital S, lowercase E-L-F, or all lowercase S-E-L-F, or all caps S-E-L-F, being is the same way. There's a lowercase being that is all lower B-E-I-N-G, which really does depict not only our shadow nature, which many people are probably familiar with, but goes more into the animal, the instinctual, the hunter, the huntress that is within us, the part that hungers, the part that feels like it has to take or survive. And that is an active part of the human animal. And there is another part of us that goes deeper that is monstrous. It is the part of us that would do things that are unconscionable, that would uh, actually imagine certain acts with people that we dislike that we would never tell anyone about, that would wish bad upon someone, but maybe never verbalize it, but wish that they would get their karma. You know, we all have that. That's part of being human. And then there's Uh, a demonic side. There's an inner demon side that we all carry. And that's the part we definitely don't want to know. We don't want anyone to know that we have demons or that we might be uh, the devil of the world. But the reason that we have a part of that is because we're seeing those things outside. So for that to out picture, it has to be in here. And the only way we can achieve true oneness through true unity and true love is for us to embrace all these aspects of ourselves. Only then can we find the compassion and love necessary to actually neutralize the things that are happening outside. It's amazing. I mean, you said so many things. I want you to talk deeper about. I, I, I know personally, I've, I've always been the positive guy and I've always wanted to be the one that like, you know, throws rainbows around so that, you know, everyone can be uplifted. 
And I've, I've recognized, sure, it's a gift, but it's also like, it's a, it's a, it's a division of like not owning everything else that exists within. And I think in a world where we're constantly looking for safety, it just feels so scary to even consider going into those places or referencing that we have our own demons or, you know, burying them so deep within ourselves in our subconscious mind, um, even in our bodies and, and unaware that it's actually part of, ex, you know, dis-ease expression, you know, that that's a, that's a, a place to traverse that is so important. And you talked a lot about that actually in, in the first episode, just telling some of your story and some of the depths of like the challenge you had to move into. Um, presenting these ideas is so important and, and helping people understand them. Um, so, so the doorway in, what does that look like for people? to start to like open their eyes to, to the ownership, because if we're truly going to live in ownership of the fact that we're creating our external world and part of the manifestation is actually, you know, either paying attention to these inner demons or this, this inner darkness or not, like that's part of what needs to heal, but it's so easy to push that on. Oh, that's someone else's. So long sort of question, but like there's a doorway in, what does that look like for people in different situations? You said a key word, and that key word was safety. And we cannot feel safe in the world or create safety for others until we find that safety within. And so just as a small child might be afraid of going into a dark room, we tell them, well, if you're going to go into the room, turn the light on, and then you'll be able to see in the dark. And so we're basically doing the same thing. We're going inside this dark room. We only know what we know. Are we willing to be curious enough to discover what we don't know? And this is really more about being curious, being adventurous, being open to say, what if there is something in me? What is it that might be there? Rather than saying, oh, there's got to be this part of me, or there's a monster in me, or there's going to be these inner demons that I have to face, and it's going to be excruciating. It doesn't have to be that way. This can be a love affair. And in fact, these three books, they are that love affair of coming back to self. They are the return to understanding what true love is. Whatever a person believes in, whether they want to call it God or something else, the truth is you cannot love God unless you love every single person and experience that exists, because it is that. And so what we are saying is, can you get to the place where you love every aspect of yourself? You're saying that you're always the, the positive one, the one that you know, wants everything to have the rainbow on top of it. But what does the rainbow come from? It comes from the storm. It comes from the rain. It comes from all those things that are the combustion and the friction and the constriction that have to create that energy to create the beauty. And the very same thing exists with the different levels within us when we are willing to face them and what they have faced in terms of combustion and constriction and uh, the pain that they have held, then we start to see the rainbow that shines from those various aspects of us. And in order to do that, we first have to embark on the illusions that we've bought into, because those levels of being only exist because we've suppressed the truth of who we are, and we bought into these illusions that life, that family, that culture, that conditioning had us believe. And we started conforming and living by those standards, believing that that was the truth when in fact it is not. And so as I move into these seven illusions, you do have to stay in that elevated big picture viewpoint because these are not things that the small mind can look at and understand. They're not things that the identity will necessarily go, oh, yeah, that's an illusion. It's going to have to require that overarching view of could this possibly be an illusion and where did I buy into it? And how does this and every other illusion that is talked about here really run my life and make every choice for me instead of me going down into my gut and my soul and making those conscious choices? 
there's i know you want to jump in there there's there's something so important about what you said and i'd love for you to like just clarify for 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 me to help understand this as well i feel like when we're seeing or we're we're in being invited to see the illusion the the darkness the challenge in life it's hard to um i think for most people to not still be stuck in that small me identity right so I, what I'm hearing you saying is you actually have to invite in like this, you know, multi-sensory part of yourself. I mean, that's the way that, uh, what's his name? Gary Zukov. Yeah. Say it a little louder. Gary Zukov. <laughs> that Gary Zukov talks about, like we have this five sensory being, and then there's a super sensory, multi-sensory being. What I'm hearing is the, the invite is, do we first have to step into seeing that this is this physical body is not necessarily who we are in its totality, that we have to actually accept that there's maybe something larger than what we're relating to, to start to be able to see things. And that's maybe where we can feel safety. Um, because so many people just don't feel safe in their body to even go like, uh, it's too scary to even look at that stuff. So well, and maybe you can articulate that this is a process of embodiment. So there are two things happening here. And, and that's why these books were written as three books, because they are the different aspects of self. One thing we're doing is we're embodying more deeply the aspects of ourselves that we've never known. Mm-hmm. And so this book is completely about our self-absorption, our self-obsession. It is completely about the little me, me, me that needs mm-hmm. everything. It is in your face about how self-absorbed you are. It's in your face about how self-absorbed our creator must have been in order to see itself in 8 billion beings. Hmm. Talk about self-obsession and self-absorption. That is it to the divine nth degree. So we have to be as narcissistic as the one that created us, right? That has to be elements of us. And for us to deny those elements would be to deny the divine that created us. Now, many people might get triggered by what I just said, and that's okay because only when we are willing to see the divine and oneness as all things, can we start to understand that we are that big, that we have the capacity to be all things as well. And so from that little teeny tiny place, simultaneously, we can have that overarching view at the same time. And this illustrates how we became separate, because you are going to literally be embodying, separating into the small me and separating into the larger me while witnessing it from the human you. And you're going to see these three parts. And by the time the third book comes around, those three parts merge together. So there's a very definitive process that takes place as you move through these texts. And it illustrates in a very sensory way the way that you separate and come together, the way that you embody and the way that you're out of body, the way that you look through the lens of these eyes and only see from this form and the way that you can move from these eyes. And I'm able to see from what it looks like from Sonia's eyes or what it looks like from a tree or what it looks like from the amethyst that's behind me. I can look at this room through the eyes of that amethyst only when we are willing to realize that we are everything, we can expand to the greatness of all that is. But to do that, you have to be self-absorbed first. You have Mm. to go back and take in everything that you have diminished and called separate. Mm. Love that. Yeah. And, you know, we were sold a story from a very young age and those are, and we see the illusions and we're told that the illusions are truth and that's what we're, that's the dream that we have to move towards. And so my question to you would be like, I have an opinion of like where that starts. Like, I feel like it starts the moment, the moment the soul decides to come in after conception, that there's that initial separation. And now all of a sudden it has to go into this physical form and then physical form comes out and we're developing the ego, we're developing the identity, we're looking at the world and all these from all these different lenses. But when, you know, when my witnessing of my children, when they've come out, like there's this like wonder, there's curiosity, there's, they're stepping into their demonism whenever they can, and they're not apologizing for it. And, (laughs) you know, they're just being, and then over time, when they've been sold a story, 
that changes, like something shifts in their eyes. And so what, what have we done as humans, whether that's in like how we're communicating with each other or behaving that's shifted that because we're, I, I feel like we're born with that and then it's lost. And so how can we, how can we change that? Yeah, that's, that's why in living, you know, there are seven blessings and the very first blessing is actually the blessing of life. Mm-hmm. And that is where it starts. And so with each correlating blessing, there's a correlating illusion. And then in the third book, there will be a correlating grace. So the correlating illusion to the blessing of life is the blessing of time. Mm -hmm. And so when babies are born, they are timeless. They have no sense of time, of past, of future. They only know presence. And we see that. And that's what creates wonder within us. We're awed by it. We want to capture it, want to bottle it. But what we start to do is go, oh, the child is now one month old. And now the child is six months old. And now by the first birthday, they've walked. And they said their word by this day, we start to incorporate time into their life. And so they start to live by time. We celebrate their first birthday. And they go, oh, first birthday. They may not be conceptual at that point but they know that it's a marker of something. And then it's the second and the third, and then it goes into matriculating into school. And so slowly they, rather than being this vertical alignment of the divine that is all expansive, that is so tuned in, that is so present in that cord, that field, all of a sudden that ray turns horizontal. And no longer we are in timelessness, now we are in the horizontal spectrum of time. And that's the first place we become misaligned because we're no longer vertically connected. We are now on this horizontal line where at moments we are connected. And we are connected only if the people around us step into a moment of timelessness. But as long as they're caught up in time, we will be caught up in time. So that's how the illusions begin. And that's how the complexity of life begins, which is the first uh, antithesis of the grace in book three. Complexity is what starts to build around us. It builds in our minds as thoughts and beliefs. It builds in our minds as goals and agendas. We have to meet certain things by a certain age. We have to do certain things by a certain time. We have to hurry up because we'll be late for school. All of these things create not only this complexity that is going on around us, but it creates this complexity inside of us. We become burdened by this web of things that are no longer the simplicity of just being present. And that's how it begins. We become the creator of our own veils and our own matrix. That's powerful. I mean, you mentioned the um, virtual reality before. And uh, I mean, that really like encapsulates so much for me. And and I often sit and wonder like, where am I blind? Where am I blind to my body or my, my, my body, but my mind or my, my energy, like where, what am I not seeing? And just what you just described there of this illusion of time and going from a vertical orientation and connection to horizontal one, where we sort of access it from time to time. Um, I can't help but feel like, I mean, this is just part of this like virtual reality structure that, that we're in. And so many of us buy into it and and but it's also a stepping point to like buy to recognize that well that's part of like this the darkness or the duality that i'm not witnessing right now and it's just it's just it's on autopilot i'd love for you to speak a little bit more to this scenario uh that we're in as as a virtual reality and and like where we can become more conscious of it because just having a conversation like this, I recognize how much I'm like keeping my kids on a specific schedule through the day myself. Like how do I organize all these things? Like what am I, was my like weekly schedule look like and everything's organized around time. And I know that's one of the delusions in this book too. Um, But I'd love for you to speak to, to, to like just this virtual reality that we're in because like time is a huge one. Yeah. Yeah, when I think about life as a virtual reality, it it usually takes me to my own child who's 12 and he loves video games. And I'm sure yours love oh, them yeah. as They're much. doing it right now. <laughs> as <laughs> we speak. As we speak. They always yeah. are. Yeah. And and 
as they play those games, oftentimes it is about finding the loophole out of something. You know, if they're going through a game and they're running from the zombies or whatever it is, it's about finding the way out, you know, or finding the path to skip and not fall through. There are all these little things inside video games that are so aligned to what we do as life, but we're not taught that. We kind of stay in the homogenized conditioned experience. So we believe that we're trapped in this virtual reality within the seven constructs of illusion that have been placed here. And until the light bulb goes off to say, what if there is no time? What if I really am timeless? What if I didn't follow the schedule that I typically follow? And maybe I started with something simple, like I have a project that I keep thinking about and it needs to be done. What if I just didn't do it until the timeless moment I was sparked to do it rather than I got to get this done. I got to go work on this. I've got to set, set some time aside for this. What if I just let my spirit and timelessness guide me to the present moment where it just flowed out? And I stuck to what I feel like doing in this moment. Most people would probably go into fear of, well, I wouldn't go to work and I wouldn't make money and I wouldn't, how would I know that I'm going to eat or how, how would I take care of my kids? What would I do if I didn't have a schedule? But see, that's how we imprison ourselves. Mm -hmm. We've put ourselves in our own cage and we keep ourselves running on that wheel because we don't think we can get off the wheel of time. And yet what I have learned in the last decade is the more I step back, the more still I am, the more I magically see things take place, the more I'm taken care of, the more I'm in line with creativity when creativity is meant to flow. It's There's less effort. There's more divine ease. And so, you know, they always say, do you want to work hard or do you want to work smart? And what I'd like to say is, do you want to work hard or do you want to live in a state of divine ease? Because those are your two choices. Mm -hmm. And one choice is going to keep you the hamster on the wheel and keep you in time and keep you in your virtual reality. And the other one is going to start deconditioning you. And it's going to start pulling out all of those places that were put on you that are not the truth. And it will bring up every fear. It will bring up every belief that you have. It will bring up every push down emotion that was placed in your body from zero to seven so that it can dissolve. And all we have to do is be with it. There's nothing to do with any of that. It's can you just give it the space and the timelessness to feel it so that it can dissolve and be absorbed. And that brings a whole new meaning to self-absorption. So now instead of being self-absorbed externally, trying to do all these things to get somewhere because our minds and our egos have told us we have something to reach. Now we are absorbing everything and dissolving it back from when it's came. We're putting it back into the divine void that it actually came from. And that void is us. We were the creator of that. And so when we start to dissolve the virtual reality that we created, we begin to step into true reality which most people would say is not real. And so it's, a, it's an interesting paradox because mm -hmm. what we see in life appears real. But if you look at what the mystics and the ancients and all the spiritual texts, they will tell you that this is all a dream and what's truly real has nothing to do with the dream. But that requires your exploration and your curiosity. It requires your experimentation to discover that it's the truth. I love that. I mean, I can't help but think like time equates to productivity, like whether it be production in years or like uh, accomplishments, like by this date, I will have accomplished this. I will have completed this. And the invite really is, is this, I love that divine ease to really step into timelessness. And then there's a part of my physical, like, 
intellectual mind that goes, but I have to make time to make things happen. And so I like it, it's it's an opportunity really for me just in this moment to just recognize and bring that to my attention, of course. Uh, but I love the idea of of absorbing and dissolving because it comes from that creative, the creativity within, uh, and 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 maybe most essentially just to move us towards our mastery of it, so that we can recognize that this perpetual lesson or this experience um, is there really in service of us. However, most of us would label that as a, a glitch in the virtual reality game that we're in. <laughs> <laughs> and like an everyday example, I think can be for um, listeners. It's like, you know, when we're doing something that gives us joy or that we feel that spark inside of us and we're like fully present in that moment, time doesn't ever exist. Like all of a sudden it gets stretched out. Or if, you know, for us, when we're traveling and mm. we're just being, and we're just with our family and um, just taking like every moment in and every everything from our environment in that full presence, time doesn't exist anymore. All of a sudden there's, it's presence. everything. Yeah, it's, everything gets stretched out and twisted and all the things and it doesn't matter. It's in our desire to meet what the illusion has told us we need to meet that we get fixated on the time because mm-hmm. now there's there's pressure, right? There's like that inner like, desire and like everything we hear now from motivational speakers or everything everything's about drive and motivation and purpose and all those things so and grit and resilience and all these things and they are i think that's what locks us in into that space of time because then like you said we have our five-year plan or we have our 10-year plan and it can feel um I think it can create some uneasiness in people that are more left brain and scheduled. And that gives them that um, feeling of groundedness in their life and control because of their past experience and and things that they've been through. So how can somebody that's moving through their everyday with their busyness, right? How can they take space or create space to bring into just awareness that this is happening. I know Nick asked a question kind of like that, but maybe I'm asking for more tangible some things that people can bring into their life so that they have that experience. Yeah, both you and Nick alluded to one of the other illusions and all of these build on each other. They There's no order to them. There's no hierarchy to them. They They just all exist, but they are interwoven like a web. And one of those is the illusion of identity. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about the goals or the five-year plan, or I need to attain this or achieve this, what you're really doing is building out an identity. You've created a figure in your virtual reality and you have a destination that you want it to reach. But what you don't realize is that identity and every thought, word, and action of that identity is responding to its inner wounding. Everything you're creating has come from a place of wounding. And so it can only perpetuate the same type of experience over and over again. If you look at the majority of people in the world, they've chosen a career based on a wounding of the past. Every action, every step, it's from that. And so that's how the illusion just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, there's nothing wrong with identity and goals and all of those things What you have to determine is, are you here for your ego or are you here for your soul? Because those are two entirely different paths. Your ego will send you down a scenic route. It will have you encounter all kinds of things. You can reach all types of destinations. You can even go as high as the stars and become a star. And it will have its own set of complexities, own set of Uh, blessings, those alternate blessings I talk about in book one, you will find all of those repeating over and over and over again, because you follow the path of ego. If you're following the path of soul, the path of soul only has one destination to return to itself, the fullness of its expansiveness. And that means to slowly dissolve all ego. And That sometimes can be a challenge for people because you'll go through this place of, but if I'm not that, who am I? And when you make that commitment to start dissolving ego and truly align with your divine presence, 
life will support you in pulling away the things that keep you in the place of ego. Your fighting of that is the suffering that takes place. And so identity is that illusion that keeps the time construct going. And if you're wanting to slow down, then you have to look at why is it that I want what I want? And most of the time, our identity is simply because we're trying to feel significant. We're trying to feel as if we mattered, that we came here and our existence meant something. And that is the purpose for identity. But what if it means nothing? What if none of it means anything? What if there would be greater meaning in you just having a great time? If you living the life of your dreams, if you putting your time and your energy in the things your body wants to put energy into, rather than forcing your will all the time and feeling the heaviness and the tiredness that keeps coming on the body. Most people feel so tired all the time because they keep pushing their body and their spirit towards things they really don't want to do. But they've decided that because this is my identity, I have to do this now. Because I've built this business, I have to carry it on now. So they, again, lock themselves in even more cages. And rather than attaining this freedom that they're looking for, they don't realize they're sending themselves in the opposite place of freedom. And it all comes from simplicity. We have to start separating away all of these things that we've bought into. The other one that you happened to slightly mention, Sonia, was when you talked about a lot of these marketers talking about, you know, um, killing it or going to the, you know, fighting for what you want and all of that. And that's the illusion of war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is part of us, you know, sitting in there and trying to take what we think is ours, trying to dominate. And that's the other illusion that really causes great destruction. It's why we see so much fighting in the world because we don't realize how we're fighting against one another and fighting against the spirit, how we have come to believe that if we don't go out and get what we want, we'll never have it. And that's one of the greatest illusions of all. You know, we look all the time in nature and it's provided for. We can look at a baby, it's provided for, but we have to trust, we have to relax, we have to open back up into our yin. And that's something that both men and women have lost sight of, but particularly women have gotten completely away from what it means to be receptive, what it means to be their true feminine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The art of receiving and not really being modeled that um, through our environment. And when we are in a more patriarchal world and we have these things we have to live up to, it's easier to be in the yang it's easier to be in that state and that is that state that especially for women just speaking from my own experience is the state that creates frustration because we know we need to step into the yin and yet we hold ourselves over here because we find that um it feels like when we're stuck there there isn't a way to go there because if we do we lose something instead of looking at it as if we're we're going to gain so much by just being like using that example of nature that it doesn't have to do anything. It's just being. And how do we discern between that? I'm just thinking of an example just on the weekend. Um, So last year I applied to do a Ted talk and almost made it and got the feedback. Please try again. It was between you and somebody else and um, make sure that you put your application in again. And then the woman that was part of that committee asked, I'm like, well, what was some feedback? And she's like, the thing that was just missing is um, you need to be a little bit more aggressive. Like you are the person that needs to talk about this. And my in- instinct right away was like, but that's not, that's not how I want to operate. And so I was having this challenge of discerning. I'm like, okay, it was my humility out of not believing in myself or Am I really starting to step out of this illusion that I have to fight for my position in in life? And so how do we discern between all those beliefs that show up in those kinds of moments? See how the world keeps us going in that direction? They Mm -hmm. tell us that we have to be a certain way. We have to be aggressive. We have to push. We have to go out and get what we want. And 
it, it's really interesting. You know, when I, with coaching individual clients, there always tends to be a certain theme that comes up for every client at the same time. So it's always fascinating to me. And as of late, it's been about the fight, mm-hmm. the fight to get what I want or the fight with my husband or the fight with my children or the fight to uh, get more business. And so that's what a lot of the clients have talked about in the last two to three weeks. And we've been working with and what I like to tell people is if you're fighting in one area of your life, you're fighting in all areas of your life. You may not realize it. It's going to be more subtle, but there's a part of you that does not feel like you deserve it. So you've got to go get it. And who you encountered was one of those people. It was one of those people that believe you've got to be aggressive. It's, it's one of those energies where we want everyone on stage to go out there and push their energy on people. And that push is what activates that hunger in other people. So we're operating at a very shadow level, a very animal hunger, kill or be killed kind of level. What I came to realize was that's not who I am. I'm not going to go out and market the way people market. I'm not going to go out and build a business because I don't have a desire to do that. I know that those who need to come to me, they will find their way to me. And that is a deep trust that I'm taken care of. Now, the mind at times will often go into, oh, but you need to do this because this is how everyone does it. And it's for you to just be with that part of yourself and find out where is that discomfort? What's the belief I bought into that thinks I really have to do it that way? And am I standing so strong in my sovereignty, in my knowingness that my message or my work or my ability to express my creativity will reach who it's designed to reach, whether that's one person or a million people. The fact was that it reached me. It touched me. It expanded me because ultimately you're the only one here. Everything else is part of the virtual reality here to have you decide whether you're going to go down the left road or the right road. And it's always up to you. And so intrinsically, Sonia, when you think about what that felt like in your body when she said you needed to be more aggressive, did it feel like you were not confident or did it feel like that was not you? Yeah. No, it felt like it wasn't me. Yeah. So you were you were more true to your authentic nature. And in being more true, what is meant for you will come to you. You know, I think one of the things that we have gotten used to men and women is we feel like we have to go out and find what is for us rather than letting it come. Mm -hmm. And that letting it come can sometimes look like a direct invitation to do something. And other times that letting it come can just be your response to something that you've seen that's just inspired. So your, your yin has been sitting there and then something has come and there's now this creative force of being inspired. And then the yang inspired action wants to take, take root. And so, you know, are you designed to do a TED talk? I think probably so. I think it probably wasn't on the topic that you're putting out there. I think there's something deeper, something richer. There is something deeply profound for you to discover that wants to be voiced. And in that moment, it will come through in your soft-spoken, rich way, but it will feel the way those people need it to feel for them, but activate them in a completely different way. And so you have to trust the timelessness of it. Yeah, I keep hearing trust. And I think that's that's a big theme for all of us to anchor into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I keep going back to what you said before, um, that question of who am I? Yeah, what what a powerful question that is to ask ourselves more regularly. Especially like I guess when a conflict comes up or you know, we like one of the illusions like you write about in your book, the time, the duality, the war, like the conflict. Um what a great question to ask, because usually, like you like you mentioned, we're usually um, asserting or answering that question with, well, I, I'm the doctor, I'm the mom, the dad, the, the whatever. And oh, so yes. that role is takes this action to this particular completion. But when we ask the question, well, who am I? Like, I just feel like that's, that's sort of like a, a wonderful doorway in um, into like into the beingness uh, of of the experience. 
because all of those things are mass, you know, right. the doctor, the father, the mother, the business person, the writer, the author, the speaker, those are all masks. Not one single piece of those is true. It's like Halloween every single day. What's behind the mask? You know, can you give it shape? Can you give it form? And really, if you took all the masks off, you can't. There is formlessness, there's spaciousness, there's openness. And one of the illusions I have in the book is the illusion of evolution, which mm -hmm. is something that we've all bought into. We bought into this idea that if we do enough spiritual growth work, we'll get somewhere, you know, we'll reach enlightenment. Or if I take enough courses, I'll be the best at something, you know, all of this idea of evolving into something. But the truth is, you are the divine presence walking. There's nothing to evolve to. There's only the presence to be with it. And when you're so present with it that you establish that knowing, then all of the masks have to come down. And, and I'm not saying that you're not here to be human because the third book is all about humanity. It is about being willing to know the power of the great that is within the small. And then instead of letting your ego run your life, you use the ego. Right now, most people's ego is using them. We are here to use the ego for greater good. But we can't know how to do that unless we first lasso that ego and understand what it's doing to us and to our lives. Yeah, I've been reflecting on this a lot. Like I, I, I find it interesting in just the, 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 the spiritual consciousness or like the, the spiritual growth sort of like movement that's happening um, and knowing thyself and whatnot, that there's this idea of like we came here to like to grow, to evolve, or like to like reach certain levels of enlightenment, like that, that to me feels like part of this whole virtual reality. Like, why would we do that? Like if we're, if we're, if we are divine consciousness having, you know, this human experience, like what do we have to grow towards? Like it's, it's already like, it's already who we are. And that's what an easy trap to get into, you know, you're, I'm a light worker. I'm here to like bring light and wake people up and all this stuff. It's like, well, well, people are already who they are, or I am who I am. And if I'm, if it's just me having my own internal experience and you know, what I tap into or what I reveal or absorb or dissolve within myself is just, you know, remembering or like being in connection with this divine nature of, of who we are. Uh, like, yeah, what are we growing towards? <laughs> like, I love that that's part of like this book because it's it's a question that's been on my heart for a while. Just, you know, what are we buying into, you know? Or like, where is sure. the disconnect? Oh, no, go ahead. I'll, I'll I'm sure that. that you have both been awed at times by things that have come out of your children's mouths. Oh, yeah. like, I thought funny. you meant like odd, like ODD. Like, yeah, that too. <laughs> But I know that, you know, I, I witness little children or even 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds or 15-year-olds, they'll say things that are just completely profound and they'll mm -hmm. see things with such purity that us grown-ups can't even see. Mm -hmm. And that in itself shows that we have this in us. There's nothing to do. There's nowhere to go that we really are here to just allow ourselves the experience of what it means to be human. Every feeling, every experience, every uh, opportunity, every tragedy, like to get to a place of such neutrality around every single thing that happens in our lives and not have to push it away. You were talking about the timelessness of joy earlier, Sonia, and, and how we get to that place and there's such timelessness. But can you also be in the timelessness of mourning when someone passes? Can mm. you just drink that in and feel it and hold it and nuance it and make love to it and allow it to swallow you until the next moment that takes you to something else. We are nothing more than the wind and the rain and the sun and the stars. We're just here hanging out. And we've made a complete illusion about what all that has to mean and what, it, what has to be done. Mm -hmm. And so we're now on the return and that's why the world looks the way it looks. That's why things are crumbling. That's why there seems to be chaos. Mm -hmm. It's to get us all to go back to this place of 
shedding all the things that are not really true about us. Yeah, you answered the question I was going to ask. I feel like um, it's in that feeling of detachment that there's this longing to look for the light worker or look for that guidance or look for someone to tell us that there's a reason for the suffering. There's a reason for this. But I think that is starting to dissolve. And in in the dissolving, in this transition, there's, like you were saying, chaos because the human mind can't fully grasp it because we still have the illusions right here. But the soul is starting to, I think, speak up or the whispers, we're all hearing them a little bit more that it's just about the remembrance that the connection's already here. We're not disconnected. It's here already. Hmm. I had an experience when I was a kid and I reflect on this often. I don't know how old I was. It must've been like six or seven, maybe eight years old, but I don't know if I was in a dream or having some sort of connection or communication with something, but I was, I was in this void, this blackness I was, and, and there, there was a voice speaking to me, but I couldn't access my family. It was like, it was sort of asking the question, well, who am I if I'm not Nick, like my seven, eight year old self. Um, And I remember trying to articulate that to my parents. Like I was in such a state of like, fear yet on yet like no one's gonna remember who i am like it's not death but it's something else and it was it was so profound that i i keep i reflect on it often mm. as like interpreting this experience of like you know that you you said something like like the i can't remember is the eternal void or like the like the the nothingness into the everythingness or what have you but it, it was kind of an experience of nothingness and, and it, you know, I was in a state to not really be able to interpret it, but, but I can't help but feel like they're, they're in this sort of journey or this experience um, of like really losing attachment to who we are. That identity is part of like us awakening to everything that we are. And, and, I, and so maybe an early childhood experience of like, just, you know, appreciating the fact that, um, that so much of who we think we are is just entrapped in there in our physical identity and experience. And, and when we invite or when we spend time in this timelessness, that that was sort of an experience that I had as a kid that, that allowed me to see there's more going on here that I'm not, 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 not yet knowing. Um, yeah. But it makes me think of some of this stuff that, that you're sharing right now. You, you experienced your eternity. And what happened was you removed your focus from behind your two eyes and you went to the larger eye that could see everything that could see nothing that knew that it would, that none of this was real. And that's part of the reason within the books that I, I write it as I do with the three, with the, the, the eyes, the eye and the eye all written out different ways, because until we start to realize that there is something different than what we have come to believe there's no possibility for the mind to even open to that thought. Your parents couldn't fathom that. No. You brought them something that was beyond their, their constructs and their conditioning. And, and so it was going to sound like science fiction or you know gobbledygook to them because mm-hmm. they couldn't even fathom where you were. But where you were was real. It was true. Yeah, and, and it's hard to even articulate it now because it's it's like it's not something that words can really express. And even trying to articulate to my parents at the time too is, you know, it it really just came up out as fear, really. You know, what happens when we die? You, yeah, what might help you go back to that or or help any of your viewers uh even experience that is sit in a room that you're very familiar with, close your eyes, breathe deeply and center into your heart. And then just imagine you are different things in the room and that you're looking at the room from those different places. Imagine that your family is in the room. Imagine that instead of looking behind your eyes, that Sonia's in a chair across from you and you're able to see the room from her eyes. And you'll start to realize that your consciousness has this ability to shift and has this ability to transport itself to different places. That's not different than, than when people remote view. All they're mm-hmm. doing is moving their lens to a different place. There's many depictions of 
um, the divine being a, a column that is just covered with eyes looking from all different directions. We are those eyes. But in order to do so, we made up the story of identity. We locked into a space and time. We decided we needed to have an experience, so we created duality. We needed to have a means of give and take, so we devised money. We decided that there had to be higher and lower, so we created hierarchy. And within that identity, because we were somewhere in that higher and lower, we created evolution. And to get there, we had to have war. And yet all this time, we were just a divine child playing dress up, making up a story, just like our own children do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, such like great teachers, right? If we really observe the children and see how they witness the world, because they can do it from so many different angles. You were talking about, you know, when kids say things and it makes you like pause often, my oldest one day, um, I mean, you being from the same tradition, he was confused about Lordi, like why, what's happening here? You know, there's a celebration and often, I mean, the way it's practiced here, it's just, it's just for boys when the boys are born. And he could see that I had emotion behind my description around the whole thing. And then this is like weeks later, all of a sudden, one day he's like, you know, what if, what if it's just because it's a celebration of, you know, because in one village, everybody had the same last name and that's their identity. And they wanted their identity to keep going because the women, they change their identity when they get married and they leave the village. So what if it's just that? And he just had no emotion around and nothing. And I'm like, okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> what brilliant. See? <laughs> Yeah, like, yes, you know, we just get so caught up in all the illusions and carry these stories. And yet they're just able to like, what if it's just this? Yeah. 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 What a, what an interesting way to see the world, right? Like we, we often just assume everybody sees and, and interprets the world the way that we do. Mm-hmm. And then you get these little, you know, personal experiences that feel more real than than the world that you know that you're in, or, or you hear stuff like that, uh, read your books, and you, and you you awaken to these these deeper insights. You start to go, well, that's that's real too, mm-hmm. right? And like, what what are we choosing to to label as real? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if like people listening are feeling this with this episode. It's like um, I almost feel like I'm in a trance when I talk to you. <laughs> always, <laughs> always, because I think it takes you to this other this the space of the vastness instead of here's a protocol here's what you should do here are five steps to looking younger be beautiful right. da, 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 da. it's this like it's there's this story and i think artists musicians um have this way of expressing these deeper things poetry writing um so that we can I don't, I do not want to use the word understand but access access and digest and all the what we need, what we actually need, mm-hmm. not what we've been told what we need. So thank you for bringing that to us. That's very, very sweet. You know, I, I really, I would like to tell people to do more nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that is really the greatest practice you could have is do more nothing. Mm-hmm. Be with more of everything that occurs in your life and don't act. Just be with it, feel it, embody it, let it consume you. And in that, you will have your own discovery. You know, my books are guides, but in each book I tell people, go through this, but have your own experiment. See it for yourself because it's tangible. It's, it's, it's something that you can hold, but you have to be willing to savor it with every part of your being to, to let it really reach inside of you and show you something. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So on this path that you're on um in in writing you know one could look on the outside and go like simon you're just trying to teach the masses like you know you're you're sharing your stories to to awaken people like what what, how how do you articulate what is that you do because like i don't even know how to put into words really like when talking to you it's like it's it's like here's an invite but like how would you articulate what, what is it you're doing on the planet I'm definitely not trying to teach anybody anything. <laughs> you know, I I would say to anyone, um, don't go to any teacher. 
or any workshop or any practitioner or anybody to get something. Mm. There's nothing they can give you. Go to them because you want an experience of yourself. Go to them because you want to see what can come and rise from within you that will inspire you about you. Uh, the reason that that I wrote the books is because I wanted to experience myself reliving everything that I had come to understand. And I could see it in a way that I never saw it put anywhere else. And so I wanted to put that down. And the reason to talk about it I delight myself. I actually really enjoy hearing what comes out of my own mouth. But isn't that what children do? Mm -hmm. They love to stand in front of a mirror and they love to look. And that's what we're here to be. Can we just do things out of the sheer delight of our own being and not really have any need for it to do anything, to impact anyone, to sell a certain quantity, to even have them be noticed? but simply because it's delightful for me to be here. It's thrilling for me to connect with the two of you. I get a chance of communion and heart expansion being with others. And I'm present. I get to be present. And that's really all the reason that we're here in life mm. is to delight ourselves and find ways to be fully present. Yeah, I, it's like a celebration. Like yeah. you're celebrating yourself and and not be I'm not putting words in your mouth, but like I don't hear that you're celebrating because you want the accolades or like, you know, like the typical things. You write a book, it's like a business card, it's a way to like get your message out to the world. It's like this is the my stamp, this is who I am, so everybody knows me as this. It's really you're just celebrating this the power of words, so celebrating your own articulation of them, uh, also celebrating like the new insights and like discoveries that the people have, but also yourself, you know, and you're referencing like the insights that other people are having a reflection of you. And so like, like everything really becomes this beautiful celebration. When I think of like a birthday party as a kid, like there is an, because my younger son did it. I, when do I get to have my next birthday party? Because his, his younger friend got so many presents. So at some point, like, the celebration is about like the reward of the presence, but, but really like if we actually, you know, thought back to our kid's self, it was, it was like, wow, there's all these people that are sharing so much love in this container called a birthday and we're celebrating it. And I feel so special. I feel so loved. Like what a, what a beautiful experience. Yeah. Life I mean, is like about a celebration. That's it. You have put it purely in the exact word that it needs to be. And if every single moment is lived in that celebration of self and celebration of being alive, then there's really nothing else to do. Mm. For those of you watching, Nick and I are now crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she did it again. She did it again. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and I think what a beautiful way to close this conversation too. It's like, it's just in celebration and celebration of each other and this gift and like you said in your first book, it was the gift of life. And I think if we're just in every moment in awe of that, in curiosity of that, um, imagine the joy we could all feel together mm -hmm. on this planet. You know, I just think it would shift the world. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you for the time and the presence and just the chance to, to be in conversation together. Mm -hmm. thank, thank you. you so Thank you for listening. I'm not only delighted to share more about my own work, but even more so delighted to introduce you to this beautiful couple and all of the work that they are doing. Go to drsonyajensen.com to find out more about her book, Woman Unleashed, as well as the new Tula tea blends that they are creating. And here's a little bit more from Nick and Sonia about what they do in the world and how you can be a part of it. Until next time, in love of love with love and as love. I am Simran. Be well. So I think there's been a lot of lessons that we've all learned over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, with all the different challenges and, and pivoting that people have had to do, um, we recognize that, that one of the core things that really that people need is community and connection. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, we often talk about like all dis-ease processes, all discomforts, everything comes from a place of disconnect. 
And these last couple of years, I think that's what's happened for us is we've felt disjointed and disconnected in so many different ways. And community really is the only way to bring that back within ourselves so that we can be in reflection with others and with an understanding with others too. And knowing that we're not alone moving through some of these transitions and challenges and all the illusions that we're in right now. Yeah. And so uh, what we do to, to really support and uh, create community is that we've got a Health Ignited membership group that we take uh, people through uh, a teaching and an experience and invite them into our fold. Uh, and we do this on a, a monthly basis. Yeah, it's a container where, you know, you get to know one another and you get to understand each other's stories so that, again, you can reflect that story back to yourself and understand yourself even more, because really that's what it's all about, is that how do we constantly become more and more curious about ourselves so that we can step into that remembrance of who we actually are, not who we've been told to be and how we're supposed to behave. But really, it's this invitation to be a part of this like club. We're calling it a club. Um, it's a cool club so that we can support each other. And it's just not Nick and I teaching. It's all of us learning from one another. Yeah. And so we meet monthly. We've got uh, access to all sorts of different things that are inside our Dr. Jensen um, website which which are like do-it-yourself courses and protocols and all sorts of like fun like intellectual but also applicable uh tools for people to access uh, at their own ease mm -hmm. right. so join us we'd love to have you and if you are wanting to inquire you just go to doctorsjensen.com thank you for opening your mind to a new reality your heart to greater compassion and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.